Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast AFC Preview Edition. I'm your host, Dean Hartson, joining me on this lovely Wednesday afternoon, as he always does, host of the Unexpected Points Podcast, PFF's finest, Kevin Cole. Kevin, how are you? I'm good. Um, it's all about zero RB victory laps this week, I think. I mean, we still have some, it's still contingent on some injury news here, but the, the top of the running back order is in shambles. We have maybe multiple RB1, RB2 type of zero RBs coming in here, and then maybe even another RB2 coming in. It's it's glorious. It's glorious out there in these streets, and we're going to enjoy it, and we're going to victory lap, of course. I thought you were going to actually victory lap uh, your own little victory over me. <laughs> Kevin, because we happen to have a PFF fantasy league, I'm pulling up the final score right now. Kevin and I faced off. Good correction, I hope. Got I scored 127.86 points. Kevin called 127.96 points. Devontae Smith didn't matter. I, I was heartbroken when I saw that on a Tuesday morning, Kevin, but it is what it is. We have watched the film. We will get better. As always on this podcast, we're going to go through each and every AFC team. If you like it, guess what? We got the NFC coming up right after. Going to quickly touch on a real life topic, go into their matchup just a little bit and talk about some of the key fantasy players. Now, last week, you know, appreciate you guys uh, commenting good, bad, whatever the hell you want to say about it. Uh, just so you guys know, you know, we don't talk about someone like Dalvin Cook, Jonathan Taylor. If you have something especially cool to say, we will but those are guys you're starting every single time and just you know i get annoyed when people spend all this time talking about must start so we're trying to get the ones that actually matter so with that we, we might talk way. about dalvin cook though a little bit this week well he's hurt this week so that's a little yeah, bit different. yeah 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 i mean just more like the shoulder the history of shoulder injuries yeah. in case anyone doesn't know it's like you pull out the list it's like the santa's list coming down <laughs> it, it, it unfurls all the way down to the ground Shout out uh, Dr. Evan Porras from Fantasy Points came on this podcast in the summer and told us all that Cook was at, you know, more severe chance of actually re-injuring that than other guys that were getting more so of the, you know, summer injury-prone shine, such as Christian McCaffrey and stuff. So, Kevin, let's start off with one of the only 3-0 and teams in the NFL, the Miami Dolphins. Is this really the top two offense that the numbers say it is? Because EPA per play, EPA per pass play, the play action rate, the shift motion rate. This looks like an offense that is just, again, doing whatever it wants to do out there, particularly in the passing game. Is this something that we should expect to persist, or is this just two on a heater or start of the year? I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. There is the persistent stuff, like the pass rate over expectation. That's what we focus on most. you got to have, like, the pyramid, right? So your base of the pyramid is your pass rate over expectation, or when you're talking about team level or usage when you talk about a player level. So that is there. 
um, guys who can enhance the efficiency of the quarterback are there. A play caller who seems to be able to get his players into position to get open and catch the ball is there. You had this weird thing last week where they only ran you know 39 plays in that game and they were decently efficient. So if anything, coming off of last week from a fantasy perspective, not from a per play nerd, so let's put our nerd cap on and, and you know make our visualizations. We're talking about real man stuff here, like yards <laughs> and touchdowns, okay? That was a little bit of a disappointment outside of Jalen Waddle, but things could have been a lot bigger if, it, if they would have gotten more there. Now this week, short week, going to Cincinnati, defense has been good. Um, the Cincinnati defense has been good. Tua, well, I guess he's playing. We'll see what's happening in there. Armstead, probably not playing. Could be a down week for them, but I think long-term from a fantasy perspective in general, that fantasy outcomes are going to be strong, even if the efficiency, I don't think they're going to keep up being a top five offense necessarily. But if they're in the top 10 with this volume, you know, thumbs up, two thumbs up. So far, so good for sure. And actually, it could have been a lot bigger. You talked about the play volume in week three, but I went ahead and I looked at just every quarterback's drops and then the average target depth only on those drops. So we basically have like lost air yards this year purely on drops. It doesn't take everything into account because obviously the receiver could have caught the ball and gained more yardage. But Tua has lost the second most passing yards in the league just based on, you know, those drops so far. So that surprised me. Just I thought he was probably getting more out of everything so far. But yeah, still somehow some meat left on the bone in Miami. You mentioned the matchup this Thursday night in Cincinnati. Bengals currently three and a half point favorites. So what you're saying, Kevin, sounds like there should be another kind of higher end fantasy guy emerging here. We know we have Tyreek and Waddle at this point Tua, man. Once you get past the first six uh, quarterbacks in the rankings, like you want to put Tua seven or eight, you know, in that low end QB one conversation. I think that's fine. What do you make of this backfield, though? We have gotten good Raheem Moster, you know, utilization, not, you know, some of the nerd stuff here that, to your point, not exactly the cool counting numbers just yet. But do you think that's on the way for Raheem Mostert or is this just an offense that's going to go through Tyreek and Waddle and will probably be disappointed otherwise? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I think it's bi week fill ins we're talking about for those other guys. And yeah, when it comes to Tua, I mean, I was tempted, despite the fact that Allen and Hertz look so good, um, or almost, you know, like it, how do you not play them in cash sometimes? You know, I thought Tua, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> turned off by the, by the fact that Tua, and again, if he would have gotten the play volume, I think he would have, I think he would have been a perfectly good cash play last week. Next time, Raheem Mostert this week, my RB37 behind guys like Michael Carter, Travis Etienne, Brees Hall, Damon Harris, among others, will continue to be answering most start sick questions involving a Dolphins running back with the other guy. Looking now at the Buffalo Bills, the other team in that, you know, Miami week one game where Josh Allen scores 19 points, still throws 400 yards, you know, adds another 45 rushing yards. Absolute king shit other than missing Isaiah McKenzie for that potential go ahead touchdown. So, Kevin, my first, you know, I got I got a small show sheet here. I just like to have, you know, a starting question for this. And the first thing when I look at the Bills was I want to know from you. What did the adjusted score say that game was? Because Buffalo, come on, they I feel like they should have won that game nine times out of ten. Yeah, it was a little bit closer than you might think because of the efficiency stuff. But according to my numbers, let me just check to make sure. 30 to 26 Buffalo. So a lot closer than you would have thought. And there are some reasons for that. Josh Allen, these are the extra adjustments I make. Believe it or not, he had five turnover-worthy plays in that game. Yeah, he had a lot of drop picks going on. (laughs) Yeah, three drop picks and a fumble that was recovered by his offensive lineman. So that knocked down their score. And what also knocked down their score is they were 
successful, but there were not the explosive plays. So they weren't getting that. So that knocked them down a little bit. But yeah, they were the victor. And, you know, Miami Dolphins fans, you are on my you're on my radar. I got some of them because one of the beat writers for the Dolphins uh, sent out my adjusted score. So I did get some good hate and, you know, some, some good vocal hatred and then silent follows, which is my that, that that's my formula. One week they love you, next week they hate you. Just make sure you get paid both weeks. Yeah, Take a little less. That's what I'm going go. for. A little bit less hate next week. Bills this week in Baltimore. Buffalo sitting as a three-point road favorite. So, again, Diggs is going to do his thing. I think we saw an upper end Devin Singleton. Devin Singletary outcome last week but hey he's in this Bills offense you know if you are going to take a chance on a guy in a three-back committee might as well be one in Buffalo but that's just why it's going to continue to be hard to treat Singletary as more than you know a top 30 top 25 option hey he got had the targets last week that's what happens when Josh Allen drops back you know 70 times or whatever that number was I'm more interested Kevin and what are our thoughts now on Gabriel Davis and Dawson Knox after three weeks two guys that I think in the fantasy industry you really either loved or hate especially in terms of Gabriel Davis like if we had to redraft for the rest of the season today do you still think gabriel davis would be going as a low-end uh wide receiver two and would dawson knox be going as a low-end tight end one uh i'll say no to knox and probably yes to davis i mean we had the injury week um i'm a little bit higher on davis i think both of them may be slightly overvalued at those prices so knox i mean we've talked about this multiple times he is a higher end touchdown dependent tight end and he has zero touchdowns so it's pretty simple we don't it's, it's not like a complicated mystery as to what's happening and he's staying in the block 20 percent of the time now and that's you know it was six percent i think last year so that's not great i think the fact that they have so much depth in the patch pass catcher room with isaiah mckenzie and jameson crowder there means they can keep him in a little bit more to block and we don't like that although you know the miami blitzes a lot they're bringing that simulated pressure so maybe that that's part of it too uh, so that's what i would say i'd say Knox. He's more like a stream, high-end streamer type of guy. Gabe Davis, I still have uh, faith in him, but you're going to have to accept some down weeks. He's definitely going to be a spike week player. Almost had another touchdown last week. Just had it knocked out of his hands by, I believe, Nick Needham at the last second. So keep that in mind. But I was looking this morning, you know, just – just grinding some gears here, Kevin. And I wanted to see, you know, just the top, we call it threat rate at PFF, but it's just targets per route run. And I was looking at the top and then I accidentally hit it again. So I saw, saw the bottom of the list too. Dead last this season among 79 wide receivers with at least 10 targets, Gabriel Davis, just 10.2% targets per route run. And second to last is Allen Robinson. So it's interesting how we have these number two receivers in loaded offenses, just not getting the targets right now. But when I see something like that, man, I tend to lean a little bit more to it being just a small sample size we still see davis as a definitive number two and buffalo should have bigger days to come it's josh allen's yeah. number two wide receiver let's just continue to trust I that mean, process the, the, the literal flip side of that poor number is lots of routes run right you yeah. can't have a low number if you haven't run a lot of routes so we're, we're happy about that more than anything else i think Patriots sitting at one and two. They got a road matchup in Lambeau this week. Packers are 10 point favorites, mostly because it looks like Mac Jones is going to miss quite a bit of time with what's being called a severe high ankle sprain. Does this leave the Patriots with the worst starting quarterback in the NFL in Brian Horner? Yeah, I think that's pretty clear there. I mean, Bailey Zappi played, they drafted him in the fourth round in front of Sam Howell. Believe oh, it or not, no. which I don't know. I don't know about that decision. Um, so he played in the preseason. He looked okay, but I think he's not really an NFL arm type of guy. And I don't know if um, Belichick is going to want to push him into the lineup, but he's a guy who maybe even get a little bit of time going forward. I think it's just tough now because we don't have a lot of 
receiver talent that you can count on. You have guys like Devontae Parker go from almost begging the first two games to then going over 100 yards uh, in his last game. There's not much you can count on there offensively other than maybe Ramondre Stevenson looks pretty good if they can keep other guys out of the passing game. That's all I was going to say here because Devontae did have the big game last week. Now that also came with Jacoby Myers missing the game with a knee injury. So I don't think like we can look at Devontae as like a Brandon Cooks or CeeDee Lamb. With all due respect to Cooper Rush, I don't want to put him in the bad quarterback at conversation the way he's playing. But I don't think that either Parker or even Jacoby without Mac Jones there are going to have you know a high enough target share to be anyone to feel good about in the passing game. Same thing with the tight ends. It really takes us to Ramondre and to a lesser extent Damian Harris to Boston. This is the only problem though, man. And I, I, I have Ramondre and Zeke ranked right next to each other. And I think they're in similar situations where the usage says they should be ranked higher. But again, Kevin, this is probably going to be one of the worst scoring offenses in the NFL right now. Right now, they rank 25th. So we wanted Ramondre to get this role that he finally has. The problem was part of that deal was that the Patriots were going to be closer to what they were last year, which was the NFL's sixth ranked scoring offense. Ramondre right now, he's my RB24. I still have him ranked ahead of guys like Gibson, Kareem Hunt, a banged up David Montgomery. Are you fully drinking the Stevenson Kool-Aid? Because like it's here. It's just unfortunate now that the overall offensive upside isn't what we thought it was going to be. I mean, if you think about like a dump off type of quarterback, Brian Hoyer seems like a pretty good guy True. who could use him quite a bit. I mean, Harris is is you know RIP with um, with Mac Jones out. Most likely, I mean, you never know what can happen in these games, but he's he's kind of unstartable even in season long. I think Stevenson is startable. Uh, unless you have a top couple of really top, top options. Neither one of the guys are probably worth even messing around with when it comes to DFS, though. Looking at, you know, just every team's implied point total, you can just derive that from taking, you know, the over, under, and spread difference to see what Vegas is thinking everyone scores. And last time I looked, the Patriots are at 15.25 points this week. Not exactly uh, the offense you should be looking to target. All right, the New York Jets, it's back to Zach Wilson now. They're sitting at one and two. They're in Pittsburgh this week. Steelers favored by three and a half. Before we get to Zach Wilson, though, Kevin, if every single – I like to spice things up just a little bit here. If every single AFC East quarterback had Taysom Hill as their quarterback, who would have the best overall offense? Because it might be the um, Jets. I mean, I don't know. The Jets would be – I don't know. <laughs> it's a good question because the other guys have, like, receivers you want to throw it to. The Jets do too, though, yeah. a little bit. Low-key low do too. So, I don't know. They're all Taysom Hill is, like, a, just a ceiling on any <laughs> offense. But what I'll say here is that – when we're talking about Zach Wilson, I joked around the fact that we wanted Flacco. I guess Flacco kind of burnt down. Maybe I didn't appreciate enough, and I think this is probably appropriate when looking at Garrett Wilson, when looking at Tyler Conklin in particular, um, is just to say they've thrown more passes than anyone else in the NFL so far this season. That's not something they want to do going forward. That's not sustainable. Zach Wilson or not, you're going to have that usage number coming down. Um and that's going to put a little bit more of a ceiling on some of these pass catchers. So I guess I'd be surprised if Wilson could really turn these guys into something, but you never know what can happen. I, it was more of a compliment to the Jets than anything, because they do have a bunch of wide yes. receivers. Now, unfortunately, the offensive line, you know, they just lost George Fan as well. So more injuries happened there. Tyler Conklin has surprised this year, and they also paid a lot of money for C.J. Uzoma. It just hasn't been healthy. Obviously, have the two running backs as well. So I will caution against being too excited about Brees Hall's, you know, targets popping up. We saw this last year with Mike White under center doing kind of similar things as Joe Flacco. Last year, Michael Carter, seven games with a fully healthy Zach Wilson. He had 19 targets 
three extended appearances with Mike White, 26 targets. So, Kevin, like this week, are we just hands off until we kind of see what the Zach Wilson experience likes? Because as much as I would love Zach Wilson to be great, because I think his style of play, he's almost like a more mobile Jameis with, with the way he seems to think out there sometimes. I'm sorry, Jets fans, if that's not exactly the comp you want to be hearing out there. But I meant it as a compliment. The problem is if you take away some of his mobility, which coming off his knee injury, that's fair. Like, this could be horrendous, man. We already know Zach Wilson isn't the type of guy at this point in his career to probably be able to you know, get the ball out quick, just make the right read before the snap, do all those things. So if we have a limited gunslinger that does rely on his mobility, not to run, but at least to kind of evade pressure and stuff, like, this could be atrocious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a chance for more explosive plays than what we saw with Flacco, but his ability to sustain drives is way down. And we're talking about PPR in particular and Flacco's ability with those high pass counts to keep guys afloat. I don't know how you pick who's going to be on a particular weekly basis. It seems almost impossible at this point, unless... Zach Wilson is just going to take a Trevor Lawrence type of jump forward that we haven't seen anything forecasting to this point. Hey, it could happen. We're seeing with Trevor Lawrence right now. Not quite Justin Fields. We'll talk a little more about him in the NFC pod. AFC North, Ravens sitting as two and one. Big game this week at home against the Bills. Bills getting those three points, even though they are on the road. La MVP time, Kevin, he's playing better than he did in 2019. Pick a stat, any stat, basically. His PFF pass, and this is compared to the first three weeks of 2019. I should start with that. But 10 passing touchdowns, two picks through three weeks in 2019. He had seven versus zero. His just efficiency numbers are better all the way around 2022. He's rushed for more yards and more rushing touchdowns so far. Back-to-back overall QB1 finishes. Uh, shout out Dave Kluge over at Football Guys. Nice stat. Number one fantasy quarterback is Lamar Jackson. Number five fantasy quarterback is Lamar Jackson without any of the rushing upside. So really, Kevin, he's been doing a lot of amazing stuff just as a pure passer, which if you've watched freaking Lamar Jackson, of course we know this. But yeah, man, MVP, Lamar, sounds good to me. Yeah, it sounds it sounds really good. I mean, they could a three zero record would would have would have helped yeah. in that regard in my, with Miami sneaking ahead to go there. But he's accounting for eighty five percent of the total yards for the team if you count his his passing and his rushing in his MVP season. That was around sixty seven percent. So that's really the big difference between this and the MVP season. The passing efficiency, I don't think it's going to maintain on the level that we saw in twenty nineteen. Uh, The rushing is probably not going to maintain since we've seen some big gains there, but he does not have the running game. So the thing that will maintain and this, what we saw last year was the pass rate over expectation that is continuing. The huge difference is we're getting the the nexus that we always want to see, which is high pass rate over expectation and high efficiency together. That is just fantasy sweetness. And right now, Lamar Jackson is averaging more fantasy points a game than he did in 2019. That's why I think we're seeing quarterbacks like the one position that hasn't had really any letdown over the start of the season because all these rushing quarterbacks that have the floor are now combining it with this high upside passing ceiling that's actually beating out, you know, the guys like Brady, Cousins, and Stafford that we actually thought they were getting that. So had a fun conversation with Sigmund Bloom on the couch yesterday talking about maybe the future of uh, just drafting quarterbacks where I'm not so sure we're going to have guys like Jalen Hurts, like Kyler Murray uh, around round six here in too many uh, future years. Now, I will say Lamar 
to your point about the rushing upside, this was wild. On non-scrambles this year, Lamar Jackson is averaging 9.4 yards per carry. I know a ton of that came from the 70, you know, three-yard touchdown or whatever against the Dolphins. But, hey, he pulled it off. And, you know, it's not like that didn't happen this year. Jalen Hurts, 1.9 yards per carry on 21 uh, non-scrambles. So, truly incredible what Lamar has managed to do as the pillar of this run game. They did get their other big part of the run game back, though, last week in J.K. Dobbins. Now, we got Harbaugh saying that Justice Hill looked like a star out there. I don't fully expect, you know, J.K. Dobbins to be pushing the 70, 80% snap rate or anything. They've never been that type of offense here uh, under Greg Roman or over the past few years. But what is your level of J.K. Dobbins? Because he did go out there, handled, you know, his decent share of snaps and touches. I thought just from the eye test, he, he looked fine. Maybe not six plus yards per carry, fine, but good enough. Looking ahead to this week, it is a tough matchup against the Bills. I have J.K. Dobbins RB31 behind guys like Pierce, Akers, Singletary, Montgomery ahead of guys like Gordon, Dame Harris, Brees Hall. As I say it out loud, Kevin, it feels a touch too high, but we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, we're moving in the right direction, though. I guess I was never a guy who really saw the ceiling for Dobbins that some others may see. And I'm also someone where you mentioned the, you know, in this game, we're talking about 3.3 yards yards per carry. He had the high yards per carry in the past. I guess I just don't believe that a, an effectual running game you substitute in J.K. Dobbins, you know, fine runner. I'm not saying you don't get a higher talent level. That suddenly it becomes effective. I just don't think that's how it works. We've seen year after year after year teams go and draft running backs early thinking it's going to fix the running game when there are always deeper issues there. So I guess I just still don't see the ceiling for Dobbins here in this role if they cannot maintain things on the ground, and they can't so far. I mean, they scored 37 freaking points last game, right? And it wasn't like the running backs were able to run out a lot and, and produce anything outside of Lamar Jackson and his design runs. Yeah, it's it's weird how, you know, one, sometimes Ravens faithful. I know you're just hyping up your guys, but, you know, one side of their mouth is J.K. Dobbins, six yards per carry, generational talent. And the next one's like Gus Edwards, five yards per carry every single year, but whatever, like doesn't really make a difference. So J.K. Dobbins, again, moving in the right direction. But the same issues in Baltimore are what we see with running backs in Buffalo and in Philly. Loaded. Great offenses are going to score a lot of points, but they have three running backs involved in those committees and basically a fourth in Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, and Jalen Hurts just in terms of their rushing usage, not running back slander like most people are throwing out there. Number two team in the AFC North right now, the Cleveland Browns sitting at two and one. And Kevin, shout out to Cody Brissett, man. Very, very shaky week one until the end, you know, made a couple nice throws down the stretch, but back-to-back strong weeks. Now, I think we've seen enough of Jacoby Brissett to not maybe expect this to happen for the rest of the season, but just having this upside, you know, is better than what I thought maybe we we're getting similar to Carson Wentz in Washington. Like, no, I don't think Jacoby's going to be playing again at his peak for 10, 11 straight weeks. But just the fact that we have a nice little peak to work with is good news. How are you feeling now about Amari Cooper and Dave and the Joku fresh off a huge week three? sustaining this receiving production now with Jacoby under center, more confident than kind of what we were three weeks ago. Uh, more confident with Cooper, who I thought would always be just because the lack of competition would always be the main receiver there, which, you know, translates into like wide receiver three type of territory in, uh, in fantasy football, who's going to have some hundred yard weeks. And I think, you know, Jacoby Brissett being a top 10 quarterback right now in PFF grading and an EPA per play and efficiency, that's probably not going to continue, but Cooper can still continue to be that guy. When it comes to Njoku, I don't think his role really changed much. He was open in this one. He got a lot of targets, uh, meaning getting eight catches and having a, a lot of yards. But 
for me, it's just one of the spike weeks you can really expect from him. At least as of now, I'm not trusting it enough because I just don't think there'll be the touchdown volume. And he's not a consistent target earning type of player. At least that's my that's my take. I know some people that are a little bit higher on him. I just don't see it. And I would definitely need more than one game before I'm going to start to buy in on it. That's fair. And as always, you know, the tight end late round scene is a bit of a wasteland once you get past, you know, the first 10, 12. So just the fact that Njoku is staying on the field and we know he has this sort of game in the upper end of his outcomes, that's valuable. But yeah, let's not, you know, throw him into the top eight or anything just yet. In regards to Cooper, though, 11th in targets per out run this year, 14th in yards per out run, looking great. And I mean, just even last week, he already had a big enough game. But if he just didn't quite pull uh, an Ovaloski on the sideline, and or I guess I can say a Jimmy G now as well on yeah. the sidelines, step out of bounds could have had another like 50 plus yards on that total do expect him to get that aj terrell shadow though this week so i have moved up uh cooper more so to that wide receiver to borderline but still not quite sure we're gonna be getting this you know weekly upside boom this is not the first year kevin that we've seen amari cooper you know go back and forth with some booms and some busts it's good though that we're still getting the former in cleveland now would you buy or sell kareem hunt and nick chubb the rest of the season looking at the running back room because Here's Nick Chubb, and he just keeps scoring touchdowns, Kevin. And we say, oh, he's not getting the targets, or the Browns offense can't score points. Well, no one told that to Nick Chubb so far. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm almost legally obligated to say <laughs> that I might sell Nick Chubb, or else, like, what are we doing here? Like, because <laughs> he's still not doing anything through the air, but I don't know. I don't know what you're going to get from, from for him right now. And it's it's rough up there at the top of the running back room. So if you have Nick Chubb, it almost seems to be tempting fate if you were to decide you're going to move on from Chubb. Because if you have another two running backs, you can move in there. Or if you want to buy low on one of these running backs who hasn't been performing well, uh, I don't know. That's my problem is if you're catching a falling knife, if you're going for an undervalued guy on the flip side of this, I would be scared to do that right now. Might not be the right move. In retrospect, might look back and say this was the exact time when fear is pervasive to go ahead and make the move. Uh, I'm, I'm still willing to stick with Chubb for now. The one thing with Chubb this year, he's once again scoring way above expectation because he's a freaking monster. If you want to say he's yes. the best running back in the NFL, that's fine. Like Only DeAndre Swift has more fantasy points above expectation this year. We've seen him rip off those monster runs, so that makes sense to me. But unlike the last two years where Chubb's like expected fantasy points per game were literally that of an RB2 or an RB3, this year Nick Chubb actually is tied for ninth with James Robinson, with Christian McCaffrey, 15.5 expected fantasy points per game. So I don't think it's more so his change in role Kevin I think it's more so some of like the differences in other running backs as you were saying at the top so Nick Chubb maybe not that much has changed for him but the landscape around him has changed and accordingly that boosts the value great to see if you were able to you know get Chubb round three or so back in August next squad up the Steelers how much blame does Mitchell Trubisky truly deserve here Kevin because he seems to be getting most of it and I just want to say uh We've been getting a lot of Matt Canada love, and I'm not so sure it's uh, deserved at this point. Is that fair? You know, we had Ben Roethlisberger as scapegoat last year. Matt Canada was held back, Kevin. He wanted wanted to run his offense, and Mean Big Ben came in there and did his thing. And we have Mason Rudolph in the offseason talking about, oh, how much greater Matt Canada's offense is going to be this year. The main difference, the Steelers are throwing deep balls 20-plus yards downfield at the league's fourth-highest rate. Still, 27th in play action rate, 24th in shift motion rate. I mean, has Mitch Trubisky really been that terrible, Kevin, or has he been bad in an offense that hasn't done him any favors? 
I mean, I think he was very bad the first two weeks, and he looked okay his last week. Now, that was also in an island game. That's also when most people probably watched him. And I do think if you watch that game against Cleveland, he looked okay. So we have two bad games, pretty bad, like really bad games, <laughs> and, and one game where he was good slash okay. If we're seeing that, you might say, well, you know, it, it could go either way going forward. The only problem is we just look back into the past and we just see a ton of bad games. I mean, I went through his last 15 games by PFF grade, and this grade was around 80 for this last game. And you go through all of his last starting games. They're all in the 60s, 50s, or 40s. There's nothing that even comes close to it. So I'm pretty confident we're going to go back to bad Trubisky. And whether Canada is good or not, it doesn't look like he's pushing the easy buttons. Um, so an easier thing for me, though, to get an, to get an upgrade would be to move on from Trubisky and put in Pickett, but it was probably tough after him looking passable as a starting quarterback on Thursday night. I like to put out a chart, you know, once a week, just big time throw rate on the Y axis and turnover worthy play rate on the X axis. So you can usually just see who's got the best mixture of that. Get to do it on Excel, Kevin. Don't even have to break out R sometimes. But with Trubisky, only two turnover worthy plays this year and actually six big time throws. And you said this before, but I think sometimes we can misuse big time throws as this thing that you need to have to be a great quarterback where at the end of the day, how you go about picking up your yards, it can be argued that's more of a style element to the play. But just by those two factors, the big time throw rate and the turn before the play rate, you have Mitch Trubisky sitting right there next to Jalen Hurts. And I've watched them both play. I, I'm, for the love of God, they could not be more different. Just, I, I guess I will say we haven't given – Trubisky much slack at all with some of these missed downfield opportunities like he has actually lost the third most yards in the league in terms of that drops and a dot as much as Deontay Johnson is always demanding his targets and is getting open there were two three times in that Cleveland game where you know Mitch put the ball where it needed to be and Deontay couldn't quite get it there so okay this week at home against the Jets Pittsburgh three and a half point favorites we know Deontay at this point, he's getting his targets. He's going to be someone that's it's going to be hard to keep out of your starting lineup, hard to rank, you know, outside the top 20, 25 wide receivers. The ceiling is limited, though. What do you think about Najee, though? Because he's not quite getting the same workload that we drafted Najee to be getting. This year, he's on pace to catch 57 passes. Last year, that was 74. Jalen Warren isn't playing a ton. Like, it's not even close to standalone value for Jalen Warren. But man, Kevin, in this offense, like we kind of need Najee to be this 90% plus snap workhorse. That's not what he's been so far. Are you treating him more so as this like kind of upper end RB2 as opposed to locked in RB1 moving forward? Yeah, I think I think he got hit by a couple of different things that maybe you weren't expecting, depending upon when you you drafted him. One is this foot thing that the Liz Frank, whatever partial, I think that could be affecting him here. And then of course the offense, at least the first two games was worse than you would have hoped for in their ability to move up and down the field. Even in the last game, it was just a long drive type of game with both offenses. So they didn't have the ball that, that many times. This is the game for Najee Harris. Okay. They're favored. I know the jets have been pretty good against the run, but still, He's had a long rest. It's not a bi-week rest, but it's like a partial bi-week type of rest to rest up. If he doesn't put up numbers in this game, you're, you know, then it's like DEFCON 5 at this point, or is it 1? Whichever one is worse. That's what it is if he doesn't do well in this game. And with that, Najee Harris, our bounce back player of the week presented to you by Sleeper. One of my favorite, my favorite, I'll just go ahead and say that. My favorite app to hold our fantasy football leagues, except when I have to lose to Kevin by 0.08 PPR points uh, in week three. That's not so great, but Najee Harris, bounce back player of the week. Heard it here first. 
Still last place, but at least they finally got the win. Now the Cincinnati Bengals at one and two. They got their Thursday night matchup against the Dolphins at home, sitting as three and a half point favorites at that. So, Kevin, this was a team that was 0-2 with losses to Mitchell Trubisky and Cooper Rush to start the season. Now they come back and they, you know, they smack Joe Flacco on the road as expected. But you look at their schedule. They got the Dolphins this week, which obviously pretty tough game. They're in Baltimore next week. So they don't get this one. All of a sudden, they're going to be one and four before, you know, things are actually lightening up a little bit on the schedule side. Do you think they did enough last week to fix their offense where we should be expecting them to be the Bengals of old? Only things I really saw in terms of the difference between weeks one and two and week three, we did see uh, Burrow get his average target depth up to nine yards. He was at 7.9 and 5.7 the first two weeks. And he didn't actually, I think he actually held the ball longer. So the offensive line did a better job of keeping him upright. And we saw that with the only two sacks taken. And we also did see a season high in play action rate at 28.2%. So I read a good article last week. I believe it was Ben Saul over at the ringer always doing great work and he was talking about some of the problems with the Bengals. and one of his points was that they're just really not making life easy on themselves by running the ball into a lot of one high looks and they haven't been good enough at running to kind of force defenses to give them the looks that they want sure enough this season 27th in epa per run play so do you think kevin that we fixed the problems here or are we going to unfortunately see another offense where it just kind of leaves you wishing for more i think it's just it's gone past the point of regression. You know, people like to, I, I'm a little bit of regression spiel here because, you know, some people like to say, oh, the, the Bengals, you know, regression hit them here. Like this is worse than regression. Like regression <laughs> means you have an outlier outcome in one direction, you know, positive, let's say for the Bengals last year with these big plays and how they played. And the regression means you're going to come back to your true state. It doesn't mean you're going to suck. Okay. Yeah. If you're, if you're, if you don't suck, I mean, if you suck, then you will suck. So they've been sucking. I don't think they suck. I'm trying to see a suck as many times as possible. And then, so I think they're going to move closer to being in the middle here. Um, and this, this week, Dolphins like to bring pressure. They like to play up front, but they also play back and they stop the long plays. We saw that for the Bills here. So it'll be interesting to see how they negotiate that and how they communicate on the offensive line where the Dolphins did a pretty good job, honestly, of doing that in this type of matchup. For me, though, you mentioned the, the inability to run. I don't know. I still think Joe Mixon, like it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. I know he got dinged up a little bit here, but he is number one in expected fantasy points right now. He has the best usage of his career right now. And I think we have a long enough history for Mixon and he's not, you know, he's not aging out at this point to say that he's probably good. He's probably a good running back. So can they block it up a little bit better and start to get that going? I think that will start happening. So Mixon's probably the one guy I'm really looking at this offense to say, when is it going to start happening? Because I do think it's an, it's a win, not an if type of thing. And I don't think anyone's panicking on Mixon, so it's weird to call him a buy low, but God forbid you can go out there and get him. Uh, what Kevin was saying about you know the expected fantasy points, it really is wild just how far ahead he is of everyone else. 22.7 expected PPR points per game for Mixon. That's like what we're hoping that CMC was going to be giving us. Unfortunately, on the season, minus 28.6 PPR points below expectation. Javante Williams is the second most, you know, quote-unquote, unlucky running back. Joe Mixon more than doubled the amount of points that Williams is below what we expected. So hopefully Mixon really gets going. They're Kevin, not getting in the end zone too. It's not just the explosive yeah. plays. They and the, the Broncos just can't get in the end zone. 
We're starting Jamar Chase. We're starting T. Higgins every single week, even if there's a fire. Hayden Hurst is someone that, even though he was banged up a little bit last week, I believe Nathan Yonke told us on our waiver wire edition, he's number one or is he at least top three in total routes run at tight end. So if you need a streamer, I think he is a viable option. We just talked about mixing. And that does kind of take us to Joe Burrow. So when I was making my uh, QB ranks yesterday, you can catch my quarterback article every single week on pff.com. Same six guys that we talked about all offseason and ranked accordingly. Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray. Put them in some order if you want. After those guys, Kevin, if you could have one quarterback for the rest of the season, would it be Joe Burrow? Because it's just, it's interesting. He's in that conversation. We got Burrow, Tua, Russ, Stafford, Cousins, Brady. Like I had Trey Lance as that QB seven for a long time, you know, in the offseason going into the season. Obviously those days are over. I almost feel like, we thought going into this year that there was like this other tier of quarterbacks from like QB eight to QB 12 and then a bunch more in reality, man, it's almost like QB seven, QB eight. Now to like QB 20, you can start kind of seeing a tier forming there. overall thoughts on where Burrow stands this week and moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, maybe I missed it, but I mean like a healthy Herbert, I would probably still put, above no him. no he, he's he's in the top six easily. He's, he's in the top six sorry so yeah so yeah i mean i think i would put him near the top of that tier I, mean, I do kind of like Tua. i don't know man like i just feel like this is somewhat sustainable what's yeah. going on there so maybe i flip between those but i think the larger point is what you said is in that second tier there's no one you can necessarily point to and he's not doing it a lot but i do think Burrow is now potentially back on the running train or the scramble train trying to go downfield after that, uh, you know, catastrophic injury a couple of years ago. Uh, more rushing yards than Kyler Murray. So, so far this season, that's more of a Kyler Murray uh, stat than a Joe Burrow stat, but it, 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 it's a thing. That just shocked me, man. What the hell? But this uh, this actually is something that we saw in the past from Burrow. I remember, you know, I, I was really leading into him as a rookie in large part because one of the kind of trends I found over the years, basically for from 2010 to I think like 2020, the only rookie quarterbacks we saw – work as a top 12 QB by the end of the season. Cam Newton, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, RG3, Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck. Justin Herbert also got there last year. Herbert was the first one that didn't average at least 25 rushing yards per game in college. Joe Burrow was at 27. I mean, Russell Wilson was yeah. at 28. Andrew Luck was at 25. So really pre-injury, Joe Burrow, no, he wasn't running around like Kyler Murray, but the rushing yards were coming, man. And again, when we're looking at him versus Tua, Tua's never had a game with 50-plus rushing yards, even going back to Alabama. Stafford, Cousins, Brady, even a little bit of rushing upside is going to help Burrow. I mean, Russell Wilson, he's another guy right there with Kyler Murray. We've seen his rush attempts go down as well. Hopefully, Burrow really starts getting on. I mean, awesome game from last week. That really was good to see just that Joe Burrow back. I mean, he still had a good game counting numbers-wise, and they had to take their foot completely off the gas in the second half. A lot of missed opportunities for Jamar Chase. Good to see there. AFC South. We're talking about the Dolphins being for real, man. The Jaguars are another team that hot start, but it looks good. This is not, I think, your 2-1 New York Giants. The 2-1 Jacksonville Jaguars actually look like a formidable team right now. Fifth best offense in EPA per play. Do they finish the season in the top 10, Kevin? Mm, no, but I'll say they finished the season in the top half of the league. Okay. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm being a little too conservative or a little too reliant upon like the priors that I had on them going into the season, but I, I still think they're at best like a league average ish sort of team at this point, but we will see going forward. What was impressive about last week. And I totally, I totally fucked this up because I, I was on the Herbert thing. I think I even talked about it on here, like the Herbert thing. It's going to be worse than people think this and that. So I thought I was so brilliant betting the under. 
or 47 because I also thought that the Chargers have a really good defense and then oh. <laughs> they messed the whole thing up. Uh, but I should have just taken uh, I should have taken the Jags at plus seven because the, the overrunner did end up moving down to that that 42 or something like that. And then it went back up when Herbert came back. Of course, you know, you can't um, you can't go down to your local grocery store and feed your family with closing line value. But at least I got some of that. I think it was just the fact that the Jack, like the Colts, we didn't get the Jaguars enough credit for the week two win over the Colts. We just like more so hated on Matt Ryan and stuff. Maybe we still had that bad taste in our mouth from Carson Wentz taking them down in week one. So we'll see, you know, how real is Jaguars defense is, but at least the offense, man, Lawrence looking like the real deal so far hasn't been like, in my opinion, this still isn't like a good comp like to what Joe Burrow did last year. Cause I think Lawrence has been a bit more of a, you know, system quarterback here. Whereas I think Joe Burrow last season really was the system but whatever man the system's putting up great points and a lot of yards so this season trevor lawrence 11th highest grade pff passer he's six in qb rating he's you know not turning the ball over ninth and turn turn worthy play rate and he's been accurate sixth highest adjusted completion rate he is 17th and big time throw rate and yards per attempt so hey that's fine get the ball underneath the christian kirk and the zay jones it's obviously working so far christian kirk i believe needs to be in every single full ppr starting lineup evan ingram and zay jones hey i mean i was more so out on these guys because it didn't look like this offense could enable multiple high-end pass catchers but here we are kevin it's working out enough zay jones firmly in that wide receiver four conversation evan ingram someone top 12 top 15 somewhere you want to squeeze him around there the question becomes kevin what are we making of this backfield they're in philly this week as could be a great game. Eagles sitting at six and a half point home favorites. James Robinson's looking good. He's out there doing his thing. But these have been surprising games back to back weeks where, you know, the Jaguars have been able to absolutely kill teams. And week one, when they had to play from behind a little bit more, this backfield was split right down the middle 50 50. ETN still has been the preferred receiver on pass downs. And even though James Robinson is playing really well in his own right, I think some people are taking that to be like, okay, like James Robinson is so much better and ETN sucks. If you look at him in the season, James Robinson has a slight lead in yards per carry, 4.5 versus 4.3, 3.1 yards after contact compared to three. ETN's breaking more tackles though. And I mean, yards per reception, 10.1 versus 5.5 in favor of ETN. He's averaging a full more uh, yard per out run. So am I crazy to think that like this should be the spot, Kevin, where ETN can work out? Like if you would have told me before the season, the Jaguars, you know, they got the fifth best offense in EPA per play. They're a top 10 scoring group and Travis ETN is doing nothing. Like they want to get him involved. He's been close. He's look explosive. I know we can't, you know, fire him up as a top 30 back and you draft him in the third or fourth round for him to be that. But overall thoughts on like your week to week trust level of Robinson or ETN. Am I still just holding on to my priors too much? And in that case, should James Robinson be a weekly top 15 option? No, I don't think James Robinson is a weekly top 15 option. I, I don't think you're holding on to it too strongly. I mean, the, the only part that would be strong is if you said, you know what, I'm going to play him this week because I think it's going to happen. I want to see it. I want to see it first. And then and then I'm fine because I do think it's eventually going to move into a world where it's like a 60-40, 55-45 split for the carries. And then ETN is going to get more of the receiving work, making him overall the more valuable back. So and when it comes to James Robinson, I don't know what his market value is out there in your league when you're out there. But I'm comfortable with saying you should sell James Robinson. I mean, we're talking about 40 percent of his runs. And two thirds of his touchdowns out of the three, it's only two out of three touchdowns have come on two long 35 plus yard runs. And in 
his rookie season in 2020, he had two carries that went over 35 yards. He already has two carries so far this season. And again, he got the touchdowns at the end of those two, which are hugely impactful. Outside of that, he's been fine, but he's not going to be a top 15 running back, in my opinion, going forward. If you have him, you're starting him this week, again, until we see it. If you can sell him, if people are interested and you say, hey, look at this guy, you know, what was he top two, top three running back in, the, in fantasy right now? You know, hang it out there and see what you can get. Maybe you could even package him to upgrade at another position if you really want to go for a truly elite player at another position if you're deep at running backs that you drafted him later in drafts. He is probably my number one sell guy for this week. Don't feel like you need to. And if you do have him, like Kevin said before, you know, continue to put him in the starting lineup. It's not like he's a bad asset by any yes. stretch of the imagination. I have him as my RB19 this week ahead of guys like Jacobs, Jeff Wilson, Clyde Edwards, Alaire, Zeke should be in the majority of starting lineups. And yeah, with ETN, my running back article, I got my, you know, bull call of the week. But this is, I feel like a fraud when I do some stuff like this, Kevin, because, you know, my bull calls, Travis ETN turns in a top 20 finish and I rank him, you know, RB35. So what's that say about me? It reminds me of like the prospect people where they're like, yeah, David. Bell's uh, comp is Devonte Adams. He's my wide receiver six in this uh, rookie wide receiver class. So yeah, I mean, well, I, I mean, I'm advocating a strategy where you're going to be a week late. But, yeah. You know, so that's the thing. If you want to be a week early, that's not very bold to be a week late. So, I, so I'm agree with you. If you want to be bold, I don't think it's a bad bold call. But I'm kind of advocating a week late strategy here, unless you don't have someone else to put in your lineup. That's what DFS is for, man. All right, Colts, yeah. <laughs> one, one, and one on the season now. Got that big win over the Chiefs last week, facing the Titans at home, sitting us three and a half point uh, home favorites here. Now, with Matt Ryan, still hasn't been great. We at least did see him get the win. That's couple nice. Yes. <laughs> it's been horrific. You want to pick uh, pretty much any stat, and you're going to see that he has been a terrible quarterback. Now, as we've seen with plenty of Tom Brady's been a pretty terrible quarterback this year, and we easily write that off because he hasn't had his wide receivers. Matt Ryan has had Michael Pittman for two of the three games. I will give him a little bit of the break in week two. This should be the spot that he gets right, though. I mean, this Titans defense, 26 in pass yards allowed per attempt, dead last in touchdown rate allowed, 31st in QB rating allowed. I mean, they just have not been a good group really against anyone, and even though they have had the tough back-to-back matchups against Josh Allen and then, lesser extent, Derek Carr, I mean, Daniel Jones averaged nine yards per attempt against these guys in week one is this the potential get right spot for matt ryan in this passing game kevin and i guess the other side of this coin is what's a get right spot look like for this passing game is it just michael Pittman going off and nothing else because once again like it's matt ryan i don't think that he's gonna just all of a sudden be one of the three worst quarterbacks in the league for the entire season and we have seen the colts albeit in more negative game script than we're used to seeing they have been more willing to throw the ball than in past editions of this jonathan taylor led offense yeah, I mean, it, it, go back to that list that you had for targets or yards per route run, and Paris Campbell has to be has to be near the the top of that. Dude's running wind sprints, so yeah, he's he's no good. I mean, maybe you know, sometime in the future, if they get. Uh, you know, Matt Ryan rejuvenation. If he makes a trip to some clinic somewhere and gets some special product going, maybe like Alec Pierce could be something eventually. Uh, Jelani Woods had a couple of touchdowns, but I think he ran like 10 or 11 routes in the entire game. So if you want two touchdowns, if you think that's sustainable, go ahead and invest in that. Um, yeah, there's nothing else. There's nothing else here. And Matt Ryan, like it's, it's painful to watch sometimes. What's really painful is to see him try to move, to see him get moved off of his spot because he can't move. And he got sacked five times. If you're in this low upside of a passing attack in the first place, you can't take five sacks. You just completely kill the offense. And, you know, the offense as a whole, 
not the running game. The offense as a whole averaged less than four yards per play last week in a win. So congrats on the win, I guess. But other than that, it's looking a little rough uh, in Indianapolis. So, Kevin, the reason why uh, I didn't mention Paris Campbell before was because my cutoff was 10 targets. You do five <laughs> targets, Paris Campbell has the least amount of targets per route run in the entire NFL. Yes, I do it. I, I say this dude is really just cardio. He's getting 100% cardio right now. Michael Pittman, continue to fire him up as a top 20, top 12 wide receiver each and every week that he is out there. Jonathan Taylor, you're going to the well all day long. Naeem Hines, someone that you're not feeling great about in PPR. They have given him, like, here's the problem, man. They've given him the most snaps in the league of any running back, you know, in the slot or out wide. It's 27, so nine snaps a game. Like, we're just. Yeah, I mean, you know, every every year, every year we have this I want to believe it. So cool. about it. And they'd be oh. like, you know what we could do? We could put a bad receiver out there who's also a running back instead. Like, you don't fool people. They're not going to cover him with, like, a nose tackle or something because you put a receiver. They're just going to put the same guy they would have on the slot receiver on the running back. And guess what? That's not a good matchup. That's not a good matchup for the offense. I just, I know we have this conversation every summer. This year, Kevin, I, I knew it, but Naeem Hines and Tony Pollard. I was like, all right, these are two rare running backs that actually are really good receivers. Tariq Cohen's the only guy. The only guy. And he basically is a receiver. That's what you need. You need a guy who really doesn't even have value running the ball. Tariq Cohen's the only guy, I think, in the last five years who's really been like profitable out in the slot. But the other side of the corner for me was I looked at the Colts and Cowboys wide receiver rooms, and I was like, okay, I know they're going to play Zeke over Pollard. I know they're going to play Taylor over Naeem Hines. But are they going to play Ashton Doolin and Paris Campbell over Hines? Are they going to play something named Dennis Houston? Guess what? Ashton Doolin's a better receiver probably than Naeem Hines. The the answer is yes. This is a long way of me saying. Bad receivers are still better receivers than good running backs. I mean, Naeem Hines is probably good if you could just, if you just like threw him screens and then, and then he's, but guess what? Wide receiver screens are not like affecting the defense in the same sort of way as putting a receiver who can catch the ball potentially at least 20, 25, 30 yards down the field. L taking on my behalf. We'll watch the film and get better. Next year though. It's going to happen next year. Next year, man. Get ready. (laughs) Titans sitting out one and two. How screwed is this offense in general? Because my God, Kevin, they're 31st in EPA per run play this season. If you go 2018, they were 12, 2019, they were six, 2020, they were second, 2021, you know, Derrick Henry misses half the year. They finished 15th, but this has been one of those teams similar. I mean, to Baltimore, I think in the past where they've been so run heavy and you look at, you know, any teams EPA per run, they're almost all negative. The Titans are one of the rare teams that we could actually see at times, benefit from giving the ball to Derrick Henry a lot when he was working as one of the more efficient running backs in the NFL. He got back on track last week, you know, got the short touchdown, almost had two touchdowns. Hell, even out there catching the ball, just the second time in his entire career, he had at least five receptions. So that was good to see. And anytime Derrick Henry is out there, he's you're obviously starting him in fantasy, but just as a total offensive group, like, are we looking at a bottom five offense in the league right now? Cause that's kind of been my impression watching the Titans so far. I don't think they have to be, though. Ryan Tannehill is top 10 in EPA per play. The problem is uh, Mike Vrabel thinks they have to be. <laughs> thinks they have to be. I mean, pass rate over expectation, right? Let's just go through. Even before, you know, Tannehill got there in 2019. We can even go back to 2018. Uh, 31st, 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 32nd, 27th. So we're, we're moving. We're moving on up here, uh, moving up slightly in these games. So 
you know, let Tana, let Tanny cook. I don't know if that is a quiet word. I hate these cook things anyway, but <laughs> let, let, let something happen here. Cause I do think it could be interesting with Traylon Burks. It could be, I don't know, Kyle Phillips, when he comes back, maybe he could be someone interesting. Robert Woods could be a startable commodity if Tannehill is able to throw the ball. So let's see it. The best thing, honestly, though, is for those guys to – the best thing you can hope for is those guys are marginal, you know, starters that you can maybe put in uh, depending upon how their usage goes. At least Traylon Burks ran almost every single route, so that's something for you. So those guys are okay. And the most likely thing is you're just going to have to cross your fingers and hope and pray that the running game turns around and that Derrick Henry becomes something again because that's probably more likely even though right now uh, they stink at running the ball. Yeah. Ryan Tannehill, always love the stat. He's got more rushing touchdowns than Lamar Jackson since 2019. And just with the passing. Oh, yeah, he had a good dude. vulture. He had a good vulture touchdown there. So he's got to do his little finger Did he do his? Yeah, did he do, that's actually low-key okay. I don't hate it. I, think. I don't hate you know? it. We got people calling the waddle like the best celebration ever. It's like, all right, cal- calm down. I, I like it yeah. too, but let's, let's, let's chill out on the hyperbole. Tannehill from 2019 to 2021. So I just haven't taken the three games from this year, but still a three-year sample size. Third among 52 quarterbacks in PFF passing grade. Let's say even though you're listening to a PFF podcast, you think we're a bunch of frauds. Fine. QB rating, seventh. Yards per attempt, tied for sixth. Adjusted completion rate, 11th. Tannehill's been a top 10 quarterback in efficiency since coming to Titans. And the thing is that, you know, he's not throwing as much as the other guys. So I think we tend to not give him the same respect. And there's some truth to that. You know, Steph Curry shooting 50% from three is a little bit different than, you know, someone that stands in the corner and only shoots Seth Curry. I think Seth Curry has a higher open three (laughs) make rate or something like that than Steph Curry. So that's probably a good analogy there. Yeah, he just needs to get over 55% passing. and. You need them to stink. Like you need them to be weighed down to do it. And then you get into those scenarios and it's not the most friendly environment for a play action passing attack to throw the ball. So with that said, I mean, can we really get behind Robert Woods or Traylon Burks? Woods did have the nice game last week. Burks finally getting his routes to a full-time level, just didn't really have the targets coming together last week. But he's been getting close and I think looking good. I have Traylon Burks ranked wide receiver 46 at Burks. I'm sorry. I'm Traylon Burks ranked uh, wide receiver 46, Robert Woods wide receiver 49. So not going to be saying to start him in a lot of uh, situations. And I think I'm okay with that, Kevin, especially against a Colts defense that to their credit did a pretty damn good job slowing down Mahomes and company last week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's right. Burks are another one of these guys. If you want to try to be bold, go ahead, but I'm going to be late rather than be early. And you know, Kyle Phillips didn't play too. So that's another factor going in there. And you know, maybe the dude is just kind of like a bonehead. Because it kind of seems like he dropped a fourth down pass. It wasn't an easy one, but he dropped a fourth down pass. He got stopped on the one-inch line, which well, that probably wasn't his fault. But just generally, something is going on where the the, the coaching staff uh, – I mean, Mike Vrabel, when he talks about Burks, it's like there's no there's no more pained expression you, you can have <laughs> on your face there. So we have to factor that. The bonehead factor is is pretty high, potentially, with Burks. Last place in the AFC South. I, I still don't think we even talk about this team – much at all we just expect them to be this bad because what decision have they made in the last two years that indicates they have any you know plans on winning the houston texans oh two and one this was the most painful team to rewatch this entire week for me kevin going and just just watching houston probably you rewatching that that game look look at me look at me they had i I watched it once i watched it once that's okay i watched houston man they had three plays where they break the huddle. They send, they have their quarterback and two guards, and then they go ahead and put their tackles with tight ends and wide receivers 
all the way on the sideline. It's a, uh, you know, we've seen this trick play for years, a lot, of, a lot of times in college where they have, again, just a completely inverted line. And if the defense doesn't defend it right, you can throw the quick screen to either sideline. Hopefully you have four guys on the defense. It's three guys. Go pick up a good game. They take the time to trot this out three separate times. Davis Mills stands there haphazardly. They bring everyone back in and run the ball up the middle three straight times. And I look and they're 31st in shift motion rate in the league. Kevin, they are doing freaking nothing. Pep Hamilton, his idea of getting crazy is starting off in this stupid freaking trick play that they probably had no idea, no plans on even throwing, getting back under center, giving it to Damian Pierce up the middle. Oh yeah. They're the second worst offense and rushing yards before contact per attempt. They can't do that. Damian uh, Pierce is running into a brick wall every single time overall, the second worst offense in the league and EPA per play only ahead of the Colts. who I think we all expect to get a little bit better here as the league goes on. In Davis Mills' defense, he has lost the most yards in the league in terms of that drops, you know, times the average target depth stat I was talking about. Like, what the hell is going on in Houston, man? Like, this is just so pathetic to me. They Week one, they had no, you know, plans to even try to win, punting the ball at the 50-yard line. Like, why, why does Houston just get a pass on being the most broken organization and offense in the entire league? Uh, low expectations, probably. Uh, although Mills Mafia that was out there during <laughs> the offseason, I like that. Is, cool. is is not is not too happy right now. Yeah, I mean Mills. Unfortunately, he probably you know he's a, he's a third round pick who can be a credible backup maybe in the in the NFL going forward. I think Damian Pierce you still have to be somewhat happy about the fact that he's getting you know eighty percent of the attempts the last two games. He's not running a ton of routes, but he's getting involved at least a little bit in that area. So he's a guy who you can play depending upon, you know, what your circumstances is at running back. Brandon Cooks is a guy I still think is legitimately someone you should probably be starting unless you're really deep. He's just been way, way under expectation. And again, we're going to get some regression. We're not going to get regression, meaning we're going to get Brandon Cooks going off for 100 yards and a touchdown every single game because that's not this offense. That's not Davis Mills, but Mills can play better than what we've seen so far. If he plays better, uh, Cooks has still got the role that you would want to see and getting the targets you would want him to have so he can be a startable commodity. Other than that, nothing else to talk about here. I hate it, Kevin. It makes me angry watching this team. Brandon you, Cooks you're, kinda, you're using a, a little bit too much of your emotional capacity on the Houston Texans. Just so you know. It just, man, like here. All right, I tweeted this in March. Here, here's some of the running back and wide receiver free agent signings that the Texans have made in the last like calendar year. Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay, Rex Burkhead, Dario Gumbawale, Danny Amendola, Chris Conley, Alex Erickson, Dante Moncrief, Chris Moore, Andre Roberts. What have they done in the draft? Derek Stingley, okay, that's cool. Like You got to help other things than just the offense, but just, just yeah, it's, it's yeah. incredible. They kind of sound like they have like a money laundering scheme going on through washed – Instead of a washer dryer place, through washed football players. It's you know same thing with the Bears this last off. It's just wild to me that we can watch these teams so obviously just put all their eggs into trying to lose this season. And it just sucks that the players have to then sit here and you know, yeah. So again, not against the players here. I'm just pissed off more so at the Texans organization. But to Kevin's point, well, the, the NFL. I mean, NFL teams should never have two hopeless seasons in a row. You should always, yes. be, even if you stink, like even the Browns who went 0 and 16 in their second season of the rebuild. People were genuinely excited about the team in the offseason. Now they stunk. Deshaun Kaiser was awful. Everything fell apart. But there's not even excitement around the Texans. There's not even excitement around the Bears. There's not even excitement around the Falcons. Although low-key Marcus Mariota is playing okay. But those are three teams that are now in their second year of basically doing nothing. You just shouldn't see that in the NFL. 
Probably because they hired Lovey Smith, who, oh, yeah, let's look at this. He leaves the NFL. He goes 17 and 39 at Illinois. He comes back to be a D coordinator in Houston. He leads the 27th ranked scoring defense and 31st ranked defense in yards. You know, falls upwards right into another head coaching job. Yeah, okay, this so. is the longest segment on the Houston Texans in the history of fantasy football wrap up podcasts or. Damian Pierce, my RB30 on the week. I had a Dobbins Gordon, Damian Harris. All right, moving on to a more fun division, the AFC West. Somehow, somehow in first place, despite, you know, not at all looking like a first place team, your Denver Broncos, let's ride two and one. Facing the Raiders in Las Vegas this week. Raiders two and a half point home favorites, which I think tells you all you need to know about how people feel about the Broncos. This was shocking to me, man. Russ last year was, you know, one of the worst versions of him we've seen coming back from the injury and just not really getting back into his groove until late in the year. This has been far worse at this point. Russ is at 6.5 yards per attempt. Career low mark, 6.9. Last year, he was bad last year for the most part, at least relative to what we expect. He was averaging a full more yards per attempt to be a 7.5 adjusted completion rate, career low QB rating, career low. Is this fixable Kevin or is Russell Wilson an average to below average quarterback now? Uh, I think he could be like slightly above average. That's probably what the downside case that we're looking at materializing here. And what it means is it's Cortland Sutton and that's, that's it as far as the pass catchers are concerned. And I think the most concerning, and again, they've scored a touchdown on 15% of their red zone trip. So that's still an issue that I talked about um, last week. It hasn't gotten any better there. But what's really disappointing is for anyone who was saying, you know what, I'm still looking at Javante Williams. I'm seeing these expected fantasy points, whatever the hell that, however you calculate that over there in your nerd kingdom. It still looks good and it looks hot. And then you look up and if you're going through the usage, you're like, Mike Boone? Has this is running like 12 routes? Like, what's going Why? Why do you have to do this to us? Why? Come on, please, for the love of God. We have enough Melvin Gordon touchdowns. <laughs> now we got to deal with Mike Boone routes. I mean, it props to Mike Boone, but still, no, stop. I know. Look, we've all played some preseason DFS. We're not yeah, here to slander exactly. Mike Boone or anything, but no, it is wild. I'm hoping it was like when the Jets. Stay in your lane, though. Stay in I your know, preseason lane. I'm, I'm hoping it's just an anomaly. Like week two, Ty Johnson was out there taking some, you know, yeah, routes yeah, away from yeah. Brees Hall, Michael Carter. So I'm not I'm immediately. Saying, that's a, oh, like salt, salt in the wound, though, when you see when you see that. No, because that's terrible. I mean, look, I have Javante RB16 this week. You could argue that's probably even a little aggressive, especially if they run back the same usage that they had last week on Mike Boone. Like, if that happens, all of a sudden, Javante, not only now, like in that case, Javante didn't hit 50% snaps last week. Again, I think our worst-case scenario was him being at like 50 55% with Melvin Gordon and still in a really good offense. Now we're having worse usage than we expected, and we're in an offense not giving us nearly the same scoring upside. So to your point, not really good for anyone other than Cortland Sutton. Even removing week two when Jerry Judy only played like 14% of the snaps. Cortland Sutton, 17 targets, 238 air yards. Jerry Judy, 13 targets, 148 air yards. Cortland Sutton needs to be in lineups of all shapes and sizes moving forward. I'm not fully sounding the panic alarms on Jerry Judy. He's still definitively the number two, just probably more so of an upside wide receiver three these days. Is that fair? I mean, that's probably stretching it a little bit for me, quite honestly. I I mean, I would, you say you're not sounding the panic alarms, but I mean, are you, are you waving the white flag? Like something, (laughs) there's something going on here because whatever you expected going into the season, if you, if you drafted him, your, your expectation is, as close to dead as we can have it in week three without an injury, I think. Well, week you don't one, think so? 
Week one, he busts the long touchdown. Like, we were all hyped up about that. People got that their victory. weird play, game. though. I mean, that was a pretty fluky play, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just think he was probably – he was limited last week because he got, you know, injured and in, I think, game-time decision. So, he's still – like, he's going to be number two in this offense in targets. I understand maybe the gap between him and Sutton's a little wider, but I wouldn't completely be freaking out. Yeah, upside wide receiver three, probably a little intense. But, like, would you start Jerry Judy over Tyler Lockett? Um. I don't know. <laughs> that, that says a lot right there. But, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Gino, Gino's cooking. fun, uh, fun um, stat. I, I was a little too afraid to tweet because it is a little bit flawed, but I'll share it with you guys this season. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett have 77.6 PPR points. Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, 74.7. I know Judy basically missed the game skewing that just a tad, but I think if you would have told folks that okay, just- you're right, I'm being too harsh. I'm being too harsh on, on Judy, but I don't know. I just feel like that connection with Sutton is strong and you combine that with then the only case for Judy for, for me is like a vast improvement in the offense and it could happen. I, I'm just skeptical at this point. Quick shout out to our sponsor before we move on to the Chiefs. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Playing pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning 250k plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks. Better enough to five player prop overrunners or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code FANTASYPFF at NoHouseAdvantage.com or download the app on the App Stores to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. Chiefs sitting at 2-1. and one. Last week, just the seventh time in 77 Patrick Mahomes starts, they were held under 20 points. He is more so resembling his 2021 self versus the 2018-2019 version, Kevin. Now, it's always relative with Patrick Mahomes. He's still a top five offense in EPA per play. Patrick Mahomes still, by all accounts, an incredible real-life and fantasy quarterback. But, man, you look at it. 2018 PFF passing grade, 92.8. 2019, 81.9. 2020, 90.4. He's been stuck at 73 in each of the past two years. And, yeah, some of his other stats, uh, stats, you know, quarterback rating, passing yards per attempt, those numbers are a bit closer. 2018 2019 but hey there's not many there's not many instances watching chiefs game man where i'm like oh look at mahomes missing that wide open receiver he did miss mbs you know early on in that game for a potential chunk but otherwise it seems like you know mahomes doing a lot of running around and there's not really too many open options for him to get the ball to travis kelsey did drop a touchdown late they could have easily won that game but even if they get that man we're talking about a situation where they're still barely cracking 20 points this is an offense after they just ran straight through the cardinals in week one we didn't we didn't expect them to miss a step do you think kevin after back-to-back fairly rough games is the chiefs offense moving forward going to look like the group that again just massacred the cardinals in week one or maybe riding the struggle bus just a little bit like we saw over these past two weeks i mean i think they'll be fine that's my that's my that's my take they're, they're going to be fine their upside is limited without tyreek hill there uh he matters as uh as a guy out there he matters but again like you mentioned he hits that pass to mvs kelsey catches that touchdown sky Moore doesn't flub yeah. Uh, the punt multiple times, one of them giving up a possession, another one putting them down on the one yard line where they were, I think, a foot or two away from converting also. And then it punt, of course, Andy Reid will punt from anywhere at any time, any place, <laughs> uh, any yardage, even an inch he will punt from. 
Um, so, you know, everything kind of went wrong in that regard. And I don't think Patrick Mahomes played poorly. So I think going forward, I'd expect better results. But, you know, don't just necessarily say Gus Bradley is on the on the docket. So therefore, we're going to get 400 yards and four touchdowns from Patrick Mahomes. Fucked up minds in the year 2022. Thinks in memes more times than not. So I was just imagining like the, you know, go for on fourth and one or uh, pick up 25 cards in Uno. It's just Andy Reid sitting there with a full <laughs> yeah, freaking exactly. hand. Basically what we're seeing. They are in Tampa. Has this game already been moved, uh, Kevin, to a different location? Did I miss that? I haven't I mean, seen it being moved, but it seems like an inevitability, right? I don't know. If they're going to try to play in Tampa, I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work out. I think that explains. I mean, it'll open, at least, you know, the lines I was looking at. Open that Chiefs minus two, and now it's swinging to Tampa Bay minus two and a half. So maybe the thought is, you know, just in an ugly, potential, extremely weather-induced game, Tampa Bay would be more set up. But that's going to be problematic. I mean, look, it's going to be tough to really sit Patrick Mahomes or Travis Kelsey under any circumstances. But unfortunately, Kevin, again, we're looking at an offense that, probable top five offense still maybe they fall off a little bit but to your point i think they're gonna be fine as well still a consensus top 10 group we got Mahomes, we got travis kelsey can't really trust anyone else and I, I man like i feel like it's the most sexy and popular thing to say like ceh is a sell high candidate yeah i agree man jerick mckinnon continues to out snap him take the pass down work and isaiah pacheco even though he hasn't been super involved man he still is a threat on the goal line do you trust anyone else in this offense other than Kelsey or Mahomes? As weird as that, to, as weird as that is to say. I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster is probably a guy that you can that you can play. He would be the only other guy. And I think we talked about Ceh. You know, we were one of one million four hundred thousand and twenty-five different people to recommend potentially selling high on Ceh last week. And presumably, you couldn't do it because no one's buying. And if no one's buying, then no, really, no one's buying now. Um, that's yeah, he's to- kind of toxic as far as people's ability to look there. I- I'm wondering though, I think it's probably just going to be ugly. I mean, maybe you could get some path where they turn it over to the rookie instead, but he's still a first round pick, man. Are they really going to just, you know, completely mothball, uh, that type of guy? No. And so in that case, I just don't think anyone's going to have value. If something happened to Clyde. Yeah, Jared, Jared McKinnon probably actually be the guy to own. I mean, we did see them turn. They've turned the entire offense over to Jared McKinnon before, even though they haven't to Clyde, which is pretty wild to say out loud. But yeah, he's he's the guy that they probably feel most comfortable with. Like if they had to stick with someone, no matter what the situation they're in for any particular play, he would be the guy they'd be most comfortable with. Like, I really think Jared McKinnon, if something happened to Clyde, like if we're talking about just handcuffs, like Jared McKinnon could arguably be just a discount version of like Naeem Hines or Kenneth Gamewell in terms of the. I hope he's better than discount version. I think he'd be better than, than I think he'd be better than Naeem Hines, quite honestly. Yeah, there there we go. But yeah, it's just uh, I understand, you know, this week we're talking about a bunch of the handcuffs because of some of the notable injuries, you know, with Alexander Madison potentially stepping into a big role, Khalil Herbert and Jamal Williams. I don't think McKinnon would have that on his plate, but could he get, you know, the 10 to 12 carries plus five? five to seven targets that we've seen guys like Austin Eckler make a living on. I think that's more so in his potential range of outcomes. Speaking of Eckler, the one and two chargers now, Oh my goodness. The injury list is just absurd at the moment. So Justin Herbert, obviously still limited by that rib injury, but playing through the pain left tackle Rashawn Slater expecting to miss the rest of the season with a bicep injury. Game-changing defensive end Joey Bosa dealing with a quote-unquote significant groin injury. He's considered week-to-week. Linebacker Kenneth Murray is banged up. Cornerback J.C. Jackson has an ankle injury. Starting center Corey Lindsley missed last week with a knee injury. Keenan Allen still coming back from the hamstring. Field stretcher Jalen Guyton now for the season with a knee injury. Backup tight end Donald Parham still sidelined with that hamstring issue. 
are you reassessing kind of overall expectations here for the Chargers? I mean, it has not looked good, clearly. Now, Justin Herbert is still Justin Herbert, even last week, playing through the pain. I mean, the, the off-platform throw to Guyton, who he always seems to save his uh, best kind of throws for, uh, just, just incredible. But again, just 10 points, not too much to write home about. Maybe if they took the time to review that last-second DeAndre Carter touchdown, things would have been different. But overall thoughts, you know, just on the Chargers moving forward, are they just a little bit more limited maybe mid than we expected? Um, yeah, I think the, I don't think they are like fundamentally, but Rashawn Slater is big. Like that's the biggest, one of the biggest non-quarterback type of injuries that you could have as far as the effect on the team, the, you know, being one of the, the players who will marginally get someone from being a team that either just misses the playoffs into the playoffs or up the standings within the playoffs in a stacked AFC that we're seeing so far this year too. So I think that's big. Uh, Jalen Guyton, <laughs> low key, kind of important. We talked about the lack of explosiveness on this team. He, he, you know, he's one of the few guys who's making like the one play that they had the entire game was not a total surprise that we're talking about Jalen Guyton being that guy. So that's a little bit probably more important than some people will see who will function as that role. I think it's just going to be rough for the next couple of weeks until they get their bearings again. Herbert gets the pain factor down a little bit. They figure out the offensive line. I still think they could be a team that threatens to be a playoff team and maybe even make a run in the playoffs potentially going forward. It's just now the margin of error is lower and they're going to have to figure out some things quickly. Um, But they might not figure out things in time to avoid another loss or two in the, in the short term. Five point favorites this week in Houston. Now, Mike Williams, you got to love him at his highs, love him at his lows. Still caught a touchdown last week. Continue to fire him up as an upside wide receiver, too. At worst, every time Keenan Allen's out, and he should, again, just don't be overthinking this. You have Mike Williams. Keep that man starting lineup. Obviously, Keenan Allen comes back. We're going back the well with him. And Josh Palmer, to his credit, continuing to prove that he can be firmly in that wide receiver three conversation whenever anyone is sidelined. If Keenan is again sidelined, uh, right now I am working that way in the rankings. I do have Josh Palmer ahead of guys like Julio, Russell Gage, Elijah Moore, Brandon Ayuk. I would still lean towards you know, more definitive number ones like Lazard, Juju, you know, even someone like Tyler Lockett, Allen Robinson, just slightly ahead of him. Let's Let's talk about Austin Eckler for a little bit, Kevin, because there is some concern here. He is the RB31 in PPR points in the first three quarters compared to everyone else, and he is the RB3 in the fourth quarter. Now, I tweeted this out, and some Chargers people were like, oh, look, like we got to get Eckler the ball more like throughout the game. It's like, well, not exactly my point here. He's living on these situations where the Chargers are – inexplicably like in a big time trailing game script and he's just getting these drives where he's catching you know five six passes and basically eating he leads all running backs and targets and receptions on the season on pace for a McCaffrey-esque 119 receptions is that sustainable though Kevin because I was talking to Dwayne on the Sunday night review pod and I was saying maybe we didn't pay quite enough attention to these other running backs because even though they don't matter not Sony Michelle Joshua Kelly Larry Roundtree it in and of themselves, they don't matter to Eckler's direct usage. But if we just took the other running backs and made them one person, you know, Sony Kelly or Joshua Michelle, whatever the hell you want to call him, that person is a much bigger thorn in the side of Austin Eckler than I think we gave it credit for. The guy was number two in his own backfield and carries last week. Is it time to treat Eckler more so as a low-end RB1 as opposed to the top three guy that you drafted him to be? Yeah, I mean, I think it is at this point. We've had enough weeks now to say that both of these other guys are, you know, they're material factors in the game plan. They're not, you know, neither of them are just like a breather type of type of back. And if that's the case, 
I don't know how many running backs can get into, you know, running back RB1 type of territory consistently if they have two other running backs who have a carved out role within the offense. It's nearly impossible. And the offense is going to is going to struggle a little bit. So that's that's not great. Obviously, run game probably not going to be doing any better without Rashawn Slater in the picture, helping open up some of those holes. And it reminds me a little bit of the Antonio Gibson stuff last year because we want more touches for Austin Eckler. We're frustrated about it. But when you look at it, man, it's not exactly like Eckler is just out there ripping off, you know, 10 yards per carry and really deserving to have all those extra touches in the first place. 59 running backs this year have at least 10 carries. Austin Eckler, 57th, 2.5 yards per carry. I mean, he just hasn't had anything going. He said it on his own podcast with Matt Harmon, you know, noted fantasy football lover. Austin Eckler says he needs to do more on the ground, knowing he's going to and everything. But yeah, not ideal for Austin Eckler right now. Is he someone, Kevin, that like, are you looking to buy or sell Austin Eckler? I mean, you certainly people that draft them aren't too happy about it right now. I mean, he's probably a hold if only because I'm not sure what the market looks like right now. Potentially, I guess you could sell him if you have another guy who hit later on and then you wanted to move on from from Eckler to upgrade somewhere else at a significantly upgrade somewhere else. Maybe that's a possibility. And we ever thought that someone needs to start tracking these guys who have podcasts and see how their (laughs) performance is going, because I mean, you and I know like. This is a, this is a grind. Okay, <laughs> this is a tough business. The podcast business. We we should not be able to expect, you know, uh, high athletic peak performance while also leaving everything out on the the stream or the the mic or whatever you want to call it. Leaving it all out there and going out on the field. It's just too much to ask of any human being. That's what was so wild last year. He hops into the fantasy industry. And he's like, all right, now I'm going to go be a top three uh, running back for the entire season. Yeah. Not quite working out that way so far, but we still do. Have it's like being time. a multi-sport athlete. It's like, it's like <laughs> Dion, it's like, it's like Dion Sanders taking the flight back and forth. You know, that's what it's like when you have to get on here for the stream for an hour and talk about fake fantasy football results and then go and play. Just It's a one-for-one comparison. I don't know how anyone yeah. can see uh, otherwise. All right, final team with the AFC, the Raiders 0-3. Pretty, you know, they're one of the better 0-3 teams, though. We look at their schedule. They lost the Chargers by five in L.A. in week one. They had that just absurd loss to the Cardinals in week two in between Kyler Murray's late game heroics and then Hunter Renfro's fumble. Last week against the Titans, lost by two points. Darren Waller dropped two touchdowns. I mean, Derek Carr really did play well enough for them to win that game, but they didn't, and a win is a win is a win for the Tennessee Titans. So, Kevin, number one receiver for the Raiders, Mac Hollins leading somehow in receiving yards by a good margin. Does he have dirt on Josh McDaniels? Like, is that what it is at this point? You know, like Mac Hollins just like knows something that we don't overall thoughts on this passing game. And Hey, like Derek Carr was someone coming into the year where I think he was a pretty trendy, like maybe he could lead the NFL in passing yards. I think, as you said last week though, we kind of know who Derek Carr is already. Yeah. Yeah. I think we kind of know who he is, but again, he has better options to throw it to than he normally would. He has an okay uh, offensive line, not great, but an okay offensive line to play with. So that comes into it. And it comes to Mac Hollins. I mean, so funny. This was like a perfect alignment last week where, I mean, even he went to our PFF uh, lineup optimizer, like you, you couldn't get him out of there. I think even if you checked and said, I do not want Mac Hollins in my lineup, he still popped in and he just completely smashed. You rarely see does a chalky low floor, type of low cost guy hit that big but man that was big so anyone who was questioning what every single lineup optimizer was telling them regrets that last week will that continue going forward no i mean hunter renfro was out it's not like they overlap it as far as where they're positioned but 
there's just more targets available at that point. And I guess the bigger story for me is like Devontae Adams, right? When we're talking about here, two down weeks for him. And we've seen this with a handful of big receivers also. It's not like it's been perfect. Chase Jefferson. Yeah. Chase Jefferson now where we've had huge week one and then defense is really focusing in on them the next two weeks. I think things will correct themselves going forward. We're still getting the the usage there, but it's also a little bit weird. I don't know if it's any signal in this, but Derek Carr had his worst statistical game in week one where he was targeting Devontae Adams a lot. And the offense actually has not been bad the last couple of weeks when he hasn't been targeted. So I don't know, something to think about at least. And again, last week, my uh, official sheesh winner of the week was Darren Waller. Not one, two drop touchdowns. Also had a 30-yard game nullified. Another potential chunk play went right off his fingertips. So continue to go back to well with Waller, back to well with Adams. We kind of know who Carr is as this, you know, upper tier QB2 in the right spot. What about Josh Jacobs, though, Kevin? Someone that, you know, had the illness, threw us for a loop last week. But, you know, my bull call, my running back article is that he would be a top 10 running back last week, looking like the scoring upside, like the touches. And unfortunately, you know, wasn't able to find his way into the end zone. He did finish as the RB17, though. When we look at him, had the same amount of routes run last week. I mean, this season, actually, same amount of routes as Javante Williams, seven targets compared to 20. Unfortunately, you know, we're not playing any points per route league. But I feel like Josh Jacobs, man, we looked at this uh, Vegas backfield, and I, I dubbed it just New England Southwest, and I wanted nothing to do with it. But the problem in New England is that we usually see three, sometimes even four running backs involved. It's Josh Jacobs and Brandon Bolden, for whatever reason, taking the pass down works. But do you think Josh Jacobs is someone to really buy low now? Because, again, he's going to find the ends, start finding the end zone at some point. And I just think when you start looking at Jacobs' uh, usage, I'm not going to not gonna say Jonathan Taylor like I did last week. I've learned from that. But at a minimum, man, like someone like, Josh Jacobs versus like a Najee Harris versus like a CPAT versus like a James Conner. I feel like he still has room to go up. And if we're treating Josh Jacobs as a consensus, you know, top 12 running back here in a month, I wouldn't be that surprised. Yeah, I think the category of guys we look for and we can trust are there's one type of running back where we know no matter who else is in the backfield that they're going to have the role that we want. And then there's another type of running back we know no matter who else is in the backfield, they're not going to have the, the role that we want. I mean, Josh Jacobs falls somewhere in the middle, but it's enough towards that second group that we didn't like him. But the Raiders are testing the bounds here by saying Brandon Bolden, Amir Abdullah, you know, not playing injured, like with in that sort of combination, if that happens again, Josh Jacobs, I think he is a top 12 ish sort of running back. I mean, they had zero carries near the goal line in this last game. He would get those if they did have that. And you could probably project him to be a top 12 guy um, if Abdullah doesn't play again. Because again, they're stretching the bounds of lack of backfield competition here. He did get down the one yard line. Unfortunately, had a false start on the next play, and then they threw a touchdown ah, to so Devontae Adams. Yeah, so yeah. just a little unlucky for Josh Jacobs there. But yes, do love buying a little bit low on Jacobs. I think he's due, well overdue for one of those, you know, multi-touchdown big games that we see the early down guys occasionally be able to flirt with. So that's gonna wrap up the AFC edition of this podcast. We'll be right back with everything on the NFC side. But before that, Kevin, let the folks know what you got over at PFF.com this week. Yeah, quarterback rankings out again. 
on Wednesday is Lamar Jackson's up to number two behind Jalen Hurts. So, you know, Lamar Jackson lovers can get off my back about having him uh, at a at a totally unacceptable number five last week. So that's out. Uh, showdown stuff is going to for Thursday night. And then for the weekend, some DFS pieces will be coming out. And of course, the Unexpected Points podcast still going over that and inflaming every fan base, letting them know what their team isn't as good as they thought they were after coming away with a victory. Always a great day to be great with everything Kevin's putting out. You can check out my positional previews on PFF.com, as always. And I got my sheesh report. If you didn't have a chance to watch every single play from every single game last week, you might have missed something. I got you covered. Just go ahead and check that out. Mismatch Manifesto coming on Friday. And then also got a little bit of injury analysis at the end of the week. So we grinding. It's week four. Love it. Football's in the air, baby. For Kevin, I'm Ian. Thanks those for tuning the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.